Amen. Hey, what's up, Creekside? How y'all doing this morning? Good. Everybody excited that 2009 is over? Give a hand clap. Yeah? Ready for 2010? Okay, good. Glad you guys are excited about it. What is it with second service? You guys are killing me. You were here, I know first service is, I mean, you know, they're dancing in first service. Y'all are still sucking on coffee. All right. So anyway, hey, 2010 marks, uh, I get the privilege of kicking off uh, the new year. Excited about that. And uh, so how many of you um, uh, do, as Pastor mentioned, oh, by the way, if you need a place to stay tonight, we have a spare room, Pastor. <laughs> okay. Talking about, yeah, not, yeah, I hear you. Wow, I couldn't believe that. All right, anyway, um, it, it, how many of you all make New Year's resolutions? I know Pastor mentioned that. Okay, three of us. Awesome. The rest of you are better than me. So uh, I went to, you know, just thinking about 2010, and, you know, we all kind of have this, this idea of, you know, we want to start new and, and fresh. And uh, so there's this website that we uh, came across. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the importance of getting people connected. Okay? And part of that process is, is the top 10 New Year's resolutions. So number 10, this is based on like 300,000 people from around the country, all right? Number 10, how many of you need to get organized, okay? These are the top 10 New Year's resolutions. I mean, a lot of us have ADD, right? And stuff is just scattered everywhere, and we kind of get narrowed in, we got to get organized, all right? Number nine, this is a novelty idea. Uh, number nine, volunteer and help others. That's a pretty good, you know, idea, right? You know, we... We always start the year wanting to be more generous and, and excited about people, and then about January 15th, that all kind of wanes, right? It's like a two-week high. We're like, oh, I'm going to volunteer at the shelter, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and then you go once, you're like, oh, my God, that wore me out. I'm done, right? Number eight. What's number eight? Number eight is learn something new, okay? A lot of us, we, we, you know, we, we want to read a new book or whatever. Uh, today, during uh, my teaching time, hopefully you'll learn something new, so you can just go ahead and check that one right off, so you're free, you can just stay right where you're at the rest of 2010. All right, number seven. Number seven is find a better job. That's in my top ten. Number six. I'm just kidding. I get fired every week. It's awesome. That's, today's another day. Uh, number six is quit smoking. Uh, a lot of people who smoke, they want to quit, so that's, that's a good idea. Uh, but I just ask that if you do decide to quit, don't quit cold turkey, uh, because then that makes you crazy, and then we'll have to bail you out of jail. So don't do that. Number five. What's number five? Find my soulmate. How many of you think you've already found your soulmate? Amen. Sucks to be the rest of you. So, you know, I, don't, I got nothing for you, just a lot of prayer, you know. Number four. I enjoy more quality time with family and friends. That'll last about a week. Right? That'll last about a week. No offense, my parents are here this week. Uh, not correlation at all. Um, you know, it's great having them. They're here from Colorado, and uh, they're sent up here. So if you do get to meet them, um, just be prepared to talk to my dad a long time. And uh, that's where I get my long-windedness. But it's been great having them and connecting uh, for the week. So uh, number three. Just kidding. <laughs> debt reduction. That's always a good idea. You know, how many of you are in debt? The rest of you are liars, <laughs> or better than the rest of us, right? I mean, we all have stuff, we've got to get rid of it. Number two goes right along with that, is make and stick to a budget. That's a novel idea. If you have more month at the end of your money, right, you have a problem. You'd like to have more money at the end of the month, but that typically doesn't happen. 
What do you think is the number one? Well, I didn't even get it out, right? That's why I'm wearing vertical stripes. Thank God for those, right? You know, now you see me, now you don't. I can just turn, you know, if it wasn't for, uh, I wore horizontal stripes once. And uh, a friend of mine looked at me and goes, you should wear vertical. So I do now. He's not my friend anymore. So uh, we're done. Uh, I, I want to add one more, though, as, as Pastor mentioned, you know, here at Creekside, um, it's important for us to get connected. So the number one for me and, and for us as staff, the number one New Year's resolution for you, uh, since you're here with us today, is this, to be a part of a growth group. We want you to get connected with other people. Uh, we want you to, to be connected with Christ. And today we're going to look at, at Mark chapter 2. Uh, in the New Testament. So if you want to grab your Bibles, they're there. Grab your programs. We've got some teaching notes in there. Uh, the text is in the notes for you. Uh, we've got some fill in the blanks. But we're going to talk about the, the power of four people, the importance of four people helping somebody get connected to God. Okay? So the first thing I'd like to do, you know, if you're sitting there going, eh, small group stuff. I really don't like people. You know, I've had a bad experience with, with small groups. They just stink you know, the blah, blah, whatever. Just make something up because you're probably doing that anyway. We want you just to give it a shot. We're making a New Year's resolution. Just give it a shot. Give it a try, okay? And so you should have received a catalog with our growth groups in there. Uh, the growth group that, that we'll be leading, it says T-U-E, it says Tuesday, but then over in the column, it says Thursday. It's actually going to be on Tuesdays. I just mistyped that. So um, make sure you get plugged in. Uh, we did some interviews here a couple of weeks ago with some folks um, young and old, been here a short time, been here a long time, about the significance of growth groups. So I'm going to ask that you watch this video real quick on growth groups. Blessed. Wonderful. Awesome. Awesome. Enjoyment. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I have never had truer friends. There are other people that have the same issues. And you can you can get get information from them how to deal with certain things. Being vulnerable to other people, um, being honest about what I'm going through and what's going on in my life. When you're accountable with people, it, it gives you um, uh, more of a, a desire to really follow after God. They've grown immensely, uh, more than I thought they would. Being contacted with godly people um, that shared some of the same struggles that I had, and I knew that I was not alone. We've been able to get to know people more um, personally. Develop a deep relationship with the people you're there because it's just an amazing way to you know, build friendships. He empowered me to trust him more and, and just surrender to him. It is great to be challenged by other people um, with my faith, with what I believe, with that being having to answer questions. Studying God's Word and studying what He has for you in relationship with others uh, I think is the, the most valuable tool that we can possibly have. 
realize we need one another. I think it's a good avenue not only to meet people uh, on a personal level, but to, to stay connected. It's a great opportunity to get to know people in the church in an intimate setting. As the, the name implies, you grow there. You find out about your walk with God, but the above and beyond that, it gives you a place to really be accountable with people. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I would. Definitely. Absolutely. It's just keeps you connected at church, keeps you connected with people in a small group, and it's just a great way to be loved at Creekside. See, it's not that bad, right? I mean, it's not that bad. I, I want us all to be like Ed. You know, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I nearly fell out of the chair whenever he said that, by the way, so it was hilarious. But we want you to, to be connected. So today I'm going to talk about power of connection and, and over the next several weeks. They start the week of January 24th. You can sign up today. You can sign up next week. We had about 100 people sign up for, and during our first service today. So be sure and get signed up. At the end of our time together, I'll give you some instruction on how to do that. Okay. So uh, grab your Bibles if you have them. Uh, turn to Mark chapter 2. Uh, I want to set the context for you. Uh, just a little bit in the story and it you know I gotta you know pay off this seminary education I got so I gotta I think context is important uh, whenever we look at text have you has anybody ever eaten a sandwich that's a simple question right uh, that should be a New Year's resolution if you haven't um, so what we're gonna look at today we're gonna look at a story that would kind of be considered the meat inside a sandwich okay so um, this is the fifth story, uh, begin, uh, you know, we start in chapter 1 of Mark, and there are five stories that, that talk about miracles. Now, there are two significant types of stories in the New Testament. There's more than that, but the two we're going to talk about today. Uh, the first significant type is a miracle story. What do you think happens in a miracle story? Yeah, there's a miracle. Duh, this is rocket science, right? So in the second type of story we're going to look at today, there's a, a thing called a pronouncement story. Uh, many of you have heard the words, I pronounce you, yeah, man and wife would be the finish to that if you've already found your soulmate, right? If not, you haven't heard those words yet. But a pronouncement story indicates something extremely important. It's a major announcement within the text. So this story we're going to look at has got both of those elements. The beginning part of it is the fifth in a series of healing accounts, of miracles, Beginning in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus heals a man and, and uh, delivers him from an evil spirit. Uh, later on, Simon's mother-in-law, who had a severe fever, Jesus healed her from the fever. Later that evening, many people who were sick and possessed came, and Jesus performed miracles and healed them. And, and finally, a man with leprosy. Just before this, a man with leprosy. You all know what leprosy is? We don't see it in America very much, but in other parts of the world you do. Leprosy is where your skin actually begins to rot, and it rots away, and, and it be, begins in your extremities with your nose and with your fingers and toes, and people lose hands and feet and arms and, and facial pieces, ears. So whenever Jesus heals somebody with leprosy, it's an amazing thing because it regenerates the person. If you had leprosy and you lost a couple of fingers, and Jesus healed you, you'd have the fingers back. I mean, how cool is that? Pretty important deal. Well, just before this passage, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. 
And Jesus looks at him and says, listen, I heal you, but don't tell anybody. Now, what would you do? I mean, you'd be on Facebook. You know, you'd Twitter. You'd, get on, you'd email on your Crackberry and e-text everybody you could think of and let everybody know. But Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Well, what's the guy do? He goes through the streets and tells everybody what Jesus has done. So that sets up this story that we're looking at now. Now, later, after this story, there's, there's a series of, uh, of controversies that happen. And the last one ends with chapter 3, verse 6. So in the meat of the story, we're going we're gonna to look at this, but in chapter 3, verse 6, it says, The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This story begins to, to turn the tables a little bit in this whole conversation about how Jesus ends up dead. And we'll look at that here in just a second. Okay, so this is a, an important deal in the Gospel of Mark. So beginning in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, let's look there together. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, remember I just said, he went several places, did some healings. This is the fifth in the story. The leper went and told everybody after Jesus told him not to, right? The news spread quickly that he was back home. Verse 2a, soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. Okay, just picture it for just a minute. Now, houses in the first century world were not very big. Okay, they, I mean, they were, you know, 12 by 12, 14 by 14. You know, some were a little bit bigger based on the family units, and they would add on in the back. But this place is standing room only. It was sold out. It's like the modern-day Michael Buble, right? Dude, tickets go on sale, sold out. It's that quick. Uh, I think, though, you know, the people were looking for something there. But I think, I wonder, I really wonder if Jesus were here today performing miracles and healing people, if we would pack the place out to see. Or if we would think, you know, this guy is some kook, right? You know, he's healing people. Some freaky stuff's happened. That must be black magic. I mean, we probably wouldn't fill the auditorium. We wouldn't fill this place standing room only to see Jesus. I mean, you don't come see Pastor and I, so why would you see Jesus, right? I'm just kidding. But people, it was standing room only. They knew something. They had heard something about this guy that maybe possibly he could do something pretty darn cool. And they just wanted to experience it. They just wanted to be connected to that. They just wanted to, to see it with their own eyes. Now remember, it was standing room only because the guy with leprosy that Jesus said, don't tell, he went and told. Sometimes it, I don't know if I should say this, but sometimes it pays to disobey Jesus. No, it doesn't. We'll look. Okay, verse 2b. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Okay, picture it for just a second. Standing room only. Jesus is in a small room. It's hot outside. It's sweaty. People are jammed in there. There's no air conditioning. There's no deodorant. I mean, you get the picture? It's, pro it's warm. People are hanging on every word to hear the world's greatest teacher, much like you're hanging on every word I'm speaking now. Thank you. 
And Jesus is, is there teaching and don't know what he's saying or what he's in the middle of, but all of a sudden, a piece of dirt begins to fall on his head. And suddenly, more dirt and more dirt. And we're not talking about a small hole in the roof. We're not talking about a skylight. We are talking about a hole big enough to get a guy, probably five feet, six inches tall, laying on a mat, lowered down through it. For me, it would be a huge hole, right? <laughs> big hole. Thank you for the chuckles. But they got to get this guy down. they got to lower him down in front of him. And the place becomes just a crazy mess. Now, I'm not sure who owned the house, but I do know that making a roof in those days was, was quite a task. I mean, they didn't have air guns and, and shingles, right? It was made with wood and thatched branches and clay and, well, animal poop. Because, I mean, they would make the clay and the bricks and they put it together and they'd line the, the roofs, they'd line the tops of the houses with that. And also, I don't know if you know this, but they didn't have running water 2,000 years ago. So people would use the bathroom, and it was a pot in the corner. And whenever they're done, they're not going to let that thing out, right? So they would throw it out the windows, two-story, and it would go in the streets. And people would walk through it, and that's just the way it was. And if your house was at the bottom of the hill, and people threw their stuff out the window, where do you think it's going to end up? On the roof. So picture that for just a second. Jesus, the creator of the universe, the guy who spoke everything into existence. Somebody is digging a hole in the roof above his head. And he's becoming covered in dirt. They dug through with their bare hands. They didn't have pickaxes, a roto hammer, jackhammer, nothing. Four guys, bare knuckled, dug a hole in the roof above the creator of the universe's head because they were determined to get their friend in front of Jesus, to get him connected with Christ, no matter the cost. No matter whatever it took, that's what they were going to do. So in your notes this morning, the first fill-in is this. The men did everything, everything within their power to get their friend connected to Christ. These four guys were determined. They carried their friend, God only knows how far, through crowds, past gates, over hills, through the streets. They, they passed other folk healers. They passed religious idols. Uh, they passed temples and other forms of religion. And they wanted to get to the only guy that they thought, probably hadn't seen it for themselves, but they wanted to get him connected to the only guy that they thought it might be a possibility that he could maybe do something. I mean, they heard the story about the leper, and that was pretty intense for them. They heard about the man with the demon and how Jesus removed the demon, and they heard about the woman with the fever, and they knew Jesus was capable of healing their friend. They just knew it because they'd heard the stories. They were determined to get their friend, with whom they were closely connected with, in front of Jesus. They knew, they knew he needed Christ. Did the friend know? We don't know. I mean, the text doesn't tell us that, that the man had great faith and that he prayed daily outside the temple gates and he was expecting God for a miracle. No. It was not up to the paralyzed man. He didn't have a choice, did he? It was up to his friends to bring him. He could not get there on his own. He could not buy tickets to the sold-out Jesus show off Ticketmaster. 
He couldn't jump in the Toyota and run down to the, to the, to the, uh, the Coliseum and, and get a scalper's ticket to see this Jesus guy. He had to rely on four friends to carry him for miles up hills to get connected to Christ. His friends cared about him a whole lot, I would think. They knew. They just knew Jesus had the power to heal him. But they didn't know that Jesus had some other power. And they were not, I don't believe anyway, they were not expecting what happened next. Verse 5. It says, seeing whose faith? Their faith. Their faith. Not the, man on, not the paralyzed man. Not, not his faith. He probably didn't even have any. My guess is, dude has been, a, been paralyzed his whole life. He has reserved himself to the fact that he will lay at the temple gate begging people for money until he dies. But seeing their faith, his friend's faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, what? My child, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say, hey, seeing your faith, I'm going to make you well. The first thing Jesus does is forgive him of his sins. Now, can you imagine being one of the four guys, and, or even the paralyzed man, and you've just carried your friend 10 miles through the streets, past everything, and you knew that Jesus would heal your friend. And you do all this work, you dig the hole, you lower him down, and then Jesus does not do what you expect Jesus to do. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be ticked off. If I bring somebody to Jesus like that, I expect Jesus to heal him, because by God, that's what I want Jesus to do. And I'm probably going to say, say what? It is not about sin. The dude can't walk. Can you not see that? Heal him. Do something. you got all this power. We've been hearing about it. Just heal the guy so we can go home. Now Jesus may, if I said that to him, probably say, get behind me, Satan, and throw me outside. But he may not. I don't know. But his friends never said that. His friends never questioned what Jesus was doing. He said, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus knew that there was a greater issue in the man's life. The man was not paralyzed because he sinned. The man sinned because he was born. I mean, he sinned. I mean, we all are in that same boat. We all miss the mark. We all fall short. We're all not quite there yet. Some of us are closer than others, but we're not there some of you think you are, and you're a long ways from it. Just truth, no offense, but it's true. We all fall short of the deal. And see, there were some folks in the room listening to Jesus. They were called the Pharisees. They were the, uh, the teachers, the pastors, the preachers of the religious day, you know, of the, of the law at that point. And, and they were thinking in their minds, in verse 6, they say this. Some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves. They didn't even say it out loud. What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. <laughs> Have you ever heard somebody talk like that that thinks that they're just a little bit better than you are? You know? They're the preachers and teachers of religious law. They knew. The teachers knew without a shadow of a doubt that nobody could forgive sins but them. And the only reason they could forgive sins is because if you messed up, you had to bring an offering to them, 
and they would sacrifice the offering on your behalf, and maybe, just maybe, because of their prayer, because they were so holy and righteous, maybe because of their prayer, you might receive your sins forgiven. And if they weren't, you can come back next week and give us some more gold coins, and we'll pray for you again. And if you don't feel like you're absolved, just bring, come back, we'll, we'll pray for you again. What Jesus began to do is to mess with their pocketbooks. Because if Jesus says, listen, I forgive you of your sins, that means that they don't have to take any more offerings. The priests don't have to take any more offerings to the temple. The people don't have to bring any more uh, offerings to the temple and get shortchanged by the changers in the temple. It's in the Bible, read it. Jesus is messing with their pocketbooks. So they begin to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't do that. Verse 8, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Duh, right? He spoke everything into existence. He pretty well knows the gig, right? So he immediately knew what they were thinking, so he asked them the question. Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Verse 10. I love this. Jesus is like, neener, neener, neener. He goes, so I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then I added the bracket. He has the authority to do both, forgive sins and heal. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. How much would that freak you out? <laughs> See, what nobody knew in the room, nobody knew that Jesus had the power to do both. They knew he could heal people because they heard the stories. They had no clue about the forgiveness of sin piece. That was, they didn't know it at all. So your second feeling is this. The man and his friends got more than they bargained for. I mean, think about it. They got a whole lot more than they bargained for. See, this is true of us too. Whenever we get connected to Jesus, we get a whole lot more than we bargained for. It is so very important for us to, to personally connect with Christ. That's why in your program this morning, we have January and February reading schedules so you can get connected with Christ and read His Word. Pretty good idea. Great New Year's resolution. Because without Him, without Jesus, our sins will not be forgiven and our lives will not be healed. See, the guys didn't know that. Nobody knew that but see you, you you do you know that you're here because you know that you may not believe it 100 percent yet but if you're here for the first time you've probably heard that along the way someplace and so at least you know it a little so the friends of the man get a lot more than they bargained for and as a result the man did this verse 12 the man jumped up grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers they were amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Could you imagine that? If they were in the South, they'd be like, we ain't seen nothing like that before. I mean, that would freak them out. Think about it. If the guy's been a paraplegic, he can't use his arms, uh, his legs or his arms his whole life. There's no muscle structure. There's no, the guy has skin and bones. He's got some tendons because, you know, that's the way we were knit together. But he has no muscle structure. He has no ability to walk. He didn't have to spend six weeks in physical therapy learning how to walk. He didn't have to spend two years learning how to make a fist. 
He didn't learn how to have to put one foot in front of the other. It says the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. He didn't have to go to rehab. The healing that God provided him through Jesus was instantaneous. Complete regeneration. He got more than he bargained for. The guys might have been like, dude, we just want our friend to, you know, shuffle a little bit. You know, we're sick and tired of carrying him. He's fat. He's driving us nuts, right? Picked up his mat, jumped up, gone. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was there, I'd have freaked out. I'd have screamed like a schoolgirl and ran for the door, right? (coughs) They've never seen anything like that before. The important piece of this deal is the understanding that the forgiveness of sins is really the theme in this passage. See, we all have perceived sin. I mean, there's none of us are perfect. We all fall short, and I said that a minute ago. Our biggest problem is not, you know, the fact I need to lose 40 pounds, which I do. That's why we're vertical stripes. But the biggest problem I have is that I sin. I mess up. As much as it may seem that I'm perfect, I'm not. That's my wife. That's my kids. That's my family. See, God understands that there's something inside that that is, well, more jacked up than what's on the outside. And He wants to deal with that first, but, but He can't deal with that unless we're connected to Him. See, we're all sinners. We all fall short of that deal, and we need somebody to save us from ourselves. We cannot do this deal on our own. And I, I really think I believe this, that, that whenever we, we see sin over here, let's pretend. And let's pretend it's, it's just something small. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's the, uh, the chocolate volcano cake from Chili's at the end of the, the meal that you just stuffed yourself eating. You're like, oh, I can do one more. Come on. Maybe it's a million dollars that somebody stole that you're going to get a, a, maybe a tax credit on. You're kind of shifting your finances around a little bit to get a bigger tax break. Nobody does that, do they? Maybe it's, I don't know, pick a topic, whatever it is for you. Maybe it's issues with the internet. Maybe it's whatever. And we have that over here, and we have this cross over here and, and as a representation of Christ. I really believe that nine times out of ten, we're going to pick this if we're looking at both of them. Because this is self-serving. Suits us well. It's easier it's fun. It fulfills my lustful desires and greed. Left to myself, I will screw up more and more and more. But if I've got three or four or 20 or 200 other people around me to help me through the process, I begin to shift and pick this more often. If I'm connected with Christ and others at a deeper and growing level, I will, I'll begin to slide this way more and more. Now there's going to be a day well, I'll go back here and, and just stick my finger in that just a little bit. But I'm not going to jump in with both feet. And eventually, you're going to look at that and go, you know what, that used to be me. I, talk about, I, I have a former life. I've been resurrected in one way, shape, or form. I have a former life. And if you all knew it, <laughs> you wouldn't, you, he wouldn't have hired me. But because of that connection, we have to begin to slide this way more and more. Without it, we're going to pick that side. 
See, Jesus changed this guy on the inside first and then the outside. Outside was secondary. The major difference between us today and them a couple thousand years ago is that you know something these men didn't. You know that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And yet you keep it to yourself. We have the responsibility and obligation to help people get connected to Christ. We can't save anybody. One of the questions that drives me, me crazy, how many, how many folks you got saved, preacher? I saved nobody. I will mess the deal up. I will make them stumble more than I'll help them. My job and our responsibility is to point somebody in the direction of Jesus and then get out of the way so you don't mess the deal up. Because if we get in front of it and we try to do it, we will fall short. See, we, we can only point people to Jesus. We can only be one of the four guys digging a hole in the roof, letting the man down in front of Jesus, and then hands off, Jesus, do whatever you do. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. I don't have the email that you sent. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know it. Jesus, just do it. Get me out of the way. Because if we want Jesus to do what we want Jesus to do, it's not going to be God's will, it's going to be ours. And those two things are incompatible. I mean, are we willing to dig through the roof to, to get somebody to Christ? Are we willing to carry somebody on a mat? Are we willing to, to fight the crowds? Are we willing to, to not sit down at that table whenever we know one of our favorite servers is at Work in this section, are we willing to wait for them so we can continue to build a relationship with them? Are we willing to go the extra mile for somebody else? Are we willing to, to wake up and understand that their lives matter to God? I don't know. Now, I'm going to tell you a couple stories, and I always get in trouble whenever I tell stories because I always have people like, oh, you're just doing that because you feel better about yourself, preacher. No, I'm just telling you, I'm just giving you an example of what some, a couple of things that we do. Okay? How many of y'all like BJ's restaurant at the mall? If you have not been there, you need to go. Okay? I'm not getting paid for this or a plug. Their food is just great, right? We go to BJ's on a very regular basis, almost, except for the last couple of weeks, almost weekly. And we sit up in the bar area, and there's a couple reasons. One, you get half-price appetizers. Remember, I'm a sinner, right? You get, you get a couple bucks off appetizers. You get discounted drinks and this and that and the other. And so we sit up there, but the, the biggest reason that we go and, that, and we sit up there is uh, I have a restaurant background, and as a cocktail waiter, you spend more time with those tables because you have fewer tables. You have to spend more time with them. You kind of get to know them. You hang out with them and, because you're sucking them for an, uh, a bigger tip. <laughs> it's true. If you're waiting the floor, you have like five or six tables. You're running food. You're doing everything else. Cocktail waiters and waitresses, their job is the bar area, and there's usually four or five of them, and that's all they do. So they get more time. Well, because of our interactions, well, uh, I'll tell you about a guy named John. He's in his early tw 20s. He, uh, his girlfriend is now nine months pregnant. She may have had the baby. We, we're not too sure yet. Haven't been there for a couple of weeks. In his early 20s, lives with his girlfriend. Has, has no idea. He's looking for completeness. Met him on our anniversary, November 6th this last year. So we're like, you know what? Let's do something nice for him. We went to the mall, found a little baby Gap outfit. We were going back for dessert because they had half-priced bazookies. <laughs> Voila! <laughs> Convenient, right? 
So we walk around the mall a little bit, walk off the dinner, go back for dessert, give the, give the deal to John, and he just, he just, he goes, what is this? And we're like, well, girlfriend's pregnant, right? Yeah. Gonna have a baby, right? Yeah. We'll open it up and see. So we just got him a little onesie, a little card that said, hey, just Lord bless you if you guys need, you know, if you need anything, we've ridden that pony a couple of times, we, we're done with kids, right? We know what it's like. If you need something, let us know. When 15 minutes later, we probably had 15 people come up to our table. Servers, manager, y'all gave that to them, right? Yeah, oh, that's awesome, that is cool. You know, we're having a kid, no, they didn't do that. But <laughs> we're having a kid too. I mean, no, nobody did that, but they were just blown away that just a couple of nobodies would give a guy that we just met literally that night a gift, no big deal. Well, it costed like 15 bucks. Who cares? Guess what happens every time we walk into BJ's? John's like, hey, what's up? Manager's like, hey, it's great having you guys back. Mandy, we'll call her Mandy. She's in her mid-20s or late-20s, second marriage, couple of stepkids. She's working to pay the bills because she, she's an aspiring baker. She makes incredible cakes. You know how I know that? First of all, I asked, tell me your story. Then she proceeds to pull up her iPhone. And she hands me her iPhone. She walks away and leaves. And I start scrolling through some of the cake pictures that she had made. A few minutes later, she comes back. She put a $500 iPhone in my hand. How easy? I'm out, right? That was our second or third time we'd met her. She wanted us to see her creations. And I tell you what, incredible cake maker. There's another girl. We'll call her Amy. She's in her early, oh, she's 24. She used to go to church. She threw, blew off church as, as a 14-year-old, as a freshman in high school, because the church she attended in the area looked at her and said, you can't hang out with the kids that you're hanging out with because they smoke pot and they have tattoos and too many piercings. And you need to go to counseling to be delivered from your sin for hanging out with those kids. True story. So guess what? She was married at 19, divorced at 20, is now 24, and is a Buddhist vegan who eats steak every third Thursday. <laughs> I mean, she's kind of wavering, and ice, she has ice cream. She loves her ice cream. So she's kind of wavering, right? She's not committed. But how do we know that? Because we sit up there, we hang out a little bit longer than we probably should, and they come back around and say, like, hey, tell us your story. Guess what happens every time we go into BJ's? Hey, how you guys doing? People come over. People begin to have conversations with yeah, it costs us some money and it costs us some time. But hey, we're helping those people get connected. Do they know I'm a pastor at Creekside Church? Oh, God, no. <laughs> they wouldn't have anything to do with me. They just know me as a nice guy who's got a pretty wife and we go and hang out. And they love to come over and talk to us. The manager's always coming by saying, hey. So you don't get stories like that by just living your life in the fast lane. Not connecting with people. You have to be willing to spend a little bit of time and a little bit of extra money, step outside your comfort zone just a little bit to know and get connected with people. I, we got five or six other servers I could tell you about. Those are just three. See, we coast through life. We don't have a sense of urgency like these four guys did. They did everything they could to dig through a roof to get their, guy, their friend connected with Jesus. It's that important. We're more concerned with image. We're more concerned with comfort. This junk. 
See, they loved that guy enough to dig to a roof, carry him for miles to get their friend connected to Jesus. See, and I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people who are more concerned about whether you have a, a drink or not, whether you smoke or not, whether you've got tattoos or a funny haircut or too many piercings. I know a lot of people that will stand and preach to you about that, how you're going to hell and all this other nonsense, and their next-door neighbor is completely lost. Their spouse does not have a relationship with Jesus. Their kids have written off the church because it's more about the rules and regulations than it is about the relationship with Christ. See, we fail to get connected with people. I know people who think that you're going to hell if you don't speak in tongues or whatever it is. It's about getting connected with Jesus. That's our ultimate goal. You have to get connected and you have to help others get connected. Your last fill-in is this. You know a paralyzed person. What are you doing about it? You know somebody who can't get connected to Jesus because of their past, because of their present, because of what has been said to them or done to them in church or whatever it is. You know somebody like that, and I just mentioned three that I know personally. Am I going to invite them to church? Maybe. Am I going to invite them to my house and have dinner? Probably first, yeah. Are we going to say, hey, let's hook up and go to whatever? Yeah, probably first, yeah. You see, people need that connection. They need to, to belong someplace before they can ever believe. And they need to belong to you. Because you know something that these four guys didn't. You know that Jesus has the power to forgive sins and the power to heal, yet you sit on your hands and close your mouth regularly. So you know a paralyzed person. What are you going to do about it? Isaiah chapter 43 says this, and I think it's appropriate as we begin 2010. God says through the prophet, he says, for I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? Then he goes on to say, listen, you brought me all this stuff and none of that worked. I just wanted you. And in verse 25, he says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sin for my own sake and I'll never think of them again. See, you know that. God is about to do a new thing. Can you see it? Yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. The good news is that Jesus is here to proclaim that He can heal and grant forgiveness. If you know people have a great life and you don't think that they need Jesus, with Him their life will be better. If you know people that have a life that just stinks, their life will get better because of Jesus. You see, without the friends, without the people who knew just a little something about this, this guy named Yesu Christo, Yeshua HaMashiach, in Hebrew, this guy that they just heard stories about. 
Without those four guys, their friend would have laid his entire life at the gate, and he would have died. And he'd have gotten you. You know what, brother? Let's pray. Let's pray.